I want to talk to you about the anointing tonight. I believe freedom, the freedom that you already own, you will possess tonight in a greater measure. So the anointing, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. He is here. And man, I'll tell you, he lifts burdens and destroys yokes. So if you're going to talk about the anointing, you'll want to turn to Isaiah chapter 10. And we're going to jump off here. Isaiah chapter 10 in verse 27. Isaiah 10, 27. Now this, this passage in Isaiah, it has a dual meaning. So part of it is Isaiah is prophesying how Israel will be freed from the Assyrian bondage, from the Assyrian yoke upon them. The other meaning is that now you and I, as children of God, in the same way that they're going to be free from the Assyrian yoke and bondage, you and I, because of Jesus, are completely free from any satanic oppression and bondage that he tries to bring you. You're free tonight. You may not be aware of it. You may not realize it because your emotions might be screaming at you. Your thought life might be screaming at you. But you are free. And if you choose to believe God's word, the anointing can work. We're going to see one thing about the anointing that really upsets a lot of people when, when ministers say this. The anointing has everything to do with the person receiving a lot more. It's all dependent on the receiver. It's not really dependent upon the minister. Now, it's dependent upon the minister if he refuses to preach the word. But we preach the word. There's an anointing on the word. So the question is, though, how you receive the word tonight will be how much you receive of the anointing tonight. And here's the cool thing. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of you to help you. He's the great helper, and he'll help you receive everything that God has for you. So let's, let's read this. Verse 27, and it shall come to pass. Don't know, notice that Isaiah was not prophesying and said it might come to pass. He said it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder. The Assyrian burden that was upon Israel was going to be taken off the shoulder of Israel. But in the same way, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So at the end of this verse it says, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. What that is explaining to us is it's revealing to us how the yoke of bondage will be taken off our shoulder and destroyed. The anointing will do that. Okay? So keep that in mind and jump over to Luke chapter 3. Because we're going to look at some things with Jesus. So let's look at Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 21 and 22. The principle is... The yoke of bondage for a New Testament believer. Any oppression, any bondage will be destroyed by the anointing. Okay? That's it. Not by you trying to overcome it. Right? Remember, faith is a rest. That mess you may be in tonight, it has nothing to do with you fixing it. 
It has everything with you is just all you got to do is give it to the Lord and let him fix it. And the anointing comes and destroys. It doesn't say it breaks it, it destroys it. The closest thing you could render that picture of is, is the term, it grinds it into dust, right? I remember uh, I was working in a factory when I was young. Uh, I was, you know, I was in college and I was working a graveyard shift in a factory and the guy that was running a machine across from me, it was, it was this machine that, that grind, ground down things. We did drill bits for oil wells and... Uh, and so this guy, he's across from me, and all of a sudden, he's completely freaked out. So he, he, miss, he, he didn't set a stop on his machine, and then, you know, he, he would set up the machine, and then you could run it, and, and, and they did, we did drill bits for oil wells, and it would shave it off very precisely, but he messed up and, and didn't set this thing. And so when he came back, this very expensive piece of iron that was milled perfectly was literally a pile of metal shavings. So I look at him, he's like, and, and so I, I left my machine, I went over to him, I'm like, what's up? And he's like, I'm gonna get fired, I'm freaked out, you know? And I'm like, what happened? And he goes, look. And so I look at this pile now, this is the way the yoke is. There, there's no way you could ever make that into another drill bit. It was ground into dust, right? So I looked at them, and you know, in, in, a, in a machine shop, there's this, I forget what they, solvent of some kind that you would run on things, and you know, and so uh, you have a brush, and you could kind of brush things away or whatever, and it goes down the machine. And, and so I just said, I looked at them, now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like 20 years old and I looked at him and I took his brush and I just went whoosh, and I hung his brush back up and I go, what part? And the guy's like, yeah, what part? Now I don't know if I was helping him tell a lie or what it was, but, but the point is that's probably not a good example. But anyway, you get the picture. The anointing will grind into dust. I better move on quick, right? <laughs> Thank God that company went under so they're not going, hey, what, what's, what are you talking about, right? It'll grind it into dust so it could never be built again. So what, is that, what are we talking about? Have you ever been in bondage of any kind? Have you ever been in financial bondage? And you look at it and you're going, I don't even see a way I'm ever going to get out of this. I have, I don't see a way in the natural that I have the ability to make the money that I need to make to ever even get caught up. See, if you're a child of God, you can take that statement and throw it out because that doesn't pertain to you anymore. Because your life is not dependent upon what you can do, it's dependent upon what God has already done. Now you have to renew your mind to it. I mean, can you feel that? There's people, you're, you're sitting here going, yeah, that sounds really good when you preach it, Pastor, but, but, but walking that out. No, no, as you renew your mind, you'll prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. As you peer into the promises of God, 
you realize that that bondage of sickness and disease, that incurable thing that might be going on in your body, has it'll be destroyed by the anointing. This is good news. This means it's never too late for you. Right? You know the suicide rate in teenagers is amazing. And suicide is a spirit, and that spirit is very deceptive. It brings a person to a place that'll take you from being discouraged to where you're just bummed out about your life, but then he wants to take you down that slope into despair, where now you're looking at your future and you see it never changing. And then pretty soon, the only option a person thinks is to take their own life. Well, listen, we have the answer to that because we have hope. His name is Jesus, and it's an anchor to our soul. Amen? So, so tonight as you sit here, that verdict's not out. It's not over. And the ball is in your court. And you decide. And you could decide tonight, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe his word, and the anointing upon that word will destroy that yoke in your life. It's, it's Bible truth. So Luke chapter 3, now, if you, you're in chapter 3, verse 21, this is when Jesus was baptized. This is the first time that a human being, he's God in the flesh, the incarnate Christ, he was anointed, but he wasn't anointed with oil. See, in Genesis 28 was the first time Jacob, here's Jacob, he's in a place called Luz, L-U-Z, and now he's wrestling with this angel all night, and, and he's wrestling, and then he, he uh, wakes up the next morning, and he makes a stack of, of stones, and he anoints, it's the first time in the Bible where you see uh, the anointing with oil. And literally, he anoints these stones with oil, and it becomes, the name of that place changed. It changed from Luz to Bethel, which means the house and habitation of God. You see all through the Old Testament that the anointing would literally change people, places, and things. Every time I get up to minister, I, I believe God and receive that anointing upon me that he would think through my mind and speak through my mouth. That anointing that would turn me into a different individual so that I could minister in a manner flowing with him that's way beyond me. And see that anointing. Right now, the Holy Spirit is individually dividing this message up to all of us. Only he can do that. And if you'll believe the word of God, if you'll believe what he says that the anointing is destroyed, the, the anointing destroys bondage, yokes of bondage, it'll happen for you. So it, it says here, though, in Luke, it all changed now with Jesus because he was not anointed with oil. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost. So it says this, Now when all the people were baptized, this is John in the River Jordan, and it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. This passage, you see the operation of the Trinity. 
I believe it's the only time when you see the, the Trinity in operation all at the same time. You see God the Father speaking, sending the Holy Spirit in the form of, of something that would look like a dove upon Jesus. You see the Trinity in action here. This, this is all about Jesus being anointed. Wow. So now let's go to chapter... Uh, well, you know, before we go to Luke chapter 4, let's go to Acts 10. Go to Acts chapter 10 because I want to break down the scripture of what happened when Jesus, when that dove the whole, in the, the person of the Holy Spirit came upon him. The Bible says in other passages that he has the Spirit without measure. So there's no measure. He has the, when he was on this earth, Jesus had the fullness of the Holy Ghost upon him. We all have a measure. Okay? But nothing has changed because we're the body of Christ. If you take my measure, if you take Kirsten's measure and Summer's measure, and you take all of our measures and every measure of every believer in the world, what happens? You have the fullness of the Holy Ghost. He's on the earth. Same thing, right? So now it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Isn't that amazing that right here in Scripture, God calls sickness and disease satanic oppression. So let's break this down. How God anointed, it's the Greek word creo. It means to lay hands on and to consecrate. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and consecrated him. The presence, the fullness of the presence of the Holy Spirit rested upon him. Now, think about this. This is why don't think Jesus did anything on this earth as God. Right? Could you imagine? He is Jesus Christ, the anointed one. He was anointed. God, if Jesus was God, Right? Now, it, Jesus is God, but he, he stripped himself. He poured out all of his godly attributes. He laid them to the side, and he came as a man. He was the incarnate Christ. So now he had to be anointed. Jesus did no miracles until he was anointed. Right? Now, the only difference between Jesus is he had no sin nature in his flesh. He was spiritually alive. His spirit was alive. Right? He, the virgin birth. The blood that ran through his veins was not tainted by Adam's sin. Right? The, 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 when, when a baby's conceived, they get the blood from the mother. So the virgin birth. That's why Jesus had to be, and it's not a virgin birth, it's the one. The virgin birth. The only one. And so now here's Jesus. He's anointed with the fullness of the Spirit. He was anointed because he had to be, because he operated as a man in the earth. If he, if he operated as God, he wouldn't need to be anointed. Does that make sense? Right? He wouldn't need to be anointed. So, so let's go on with this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. 
I don't like the way they put that word and in there. Because in the, in the manuscript, in the literal Greek, it means how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, even with power. Okay? Even with power. This is dunamis, is the Greek word. It's a miraculous power that is released. Who went about doing good and healing. I love this. Because we get this idea that Jesus walked around as God and just kind of decided who he was going to heal and who he wasn't. And, it, and, it, and everything happened instantly. And so when you believe God and it doesn't happen instantly, everybody goes, well, I must not have received it. But it's interesting, the word healing here is the Greek word iaomai. It literally means to doctor or to cure. It talks about a progressive healing. It's interesting. Not an immediate, but progressive. You do see instant healings in there, but predominantly, as they went, they were healed. Healing who? All that were oppressed of the devil. So now, I want to look at this whole oppression because this is, this is how Satan comes. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed. It's, it's the Greek word, let me, well, I wrote it down here. Kata, kata, dunus, tenomenos. I'm so glad I don't live in Greece. Wow, could you imagine? <laughs> kata, dunus, tenomenos. It literally means a power that comes down very forcefully, and it's coming down to seize and control the mind for the purpose of controlling and manipulating somebody. We, we say of the word oppressed, it means to exercise hard control over. This is consistent. In this word, katadunas tenomenos, it literally denotes this is the consistent behavior of the devil. He is always coming down to control your mind so that he can manipulate you, play mind games with you. It's really, then you go into the, the oppressed of the devil. Diabolos is the Greek word. You've heard me say this. Dia means to penetrate through to the other side by doing this, by abolos, throwing something, blow after blow after blow. Satan, what he does, he comes into a person's life and throws thoughts after thoughts after thoughts of them, of sickness, disease, lack, poverty, hopelessness, depression, fear, and he'll throw them faster and harder and faster and harder unless you stop it. And he wants to penetrate your mind so that he can control your mind, your body, your friends, your relationships, all this stuff. That's what he wants to do. And the anointing stops it all. But you have to believe it. It says... All who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Healing, if you'll notice, was a big part of the purpose of the anointing. A big part. Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing. When we look at it, we always think Jesus just went about healing. But the Bible really emphasizes the teaching and the preaching part as a result of the anointing. 
See, we think if the anointing and the Holy Spirit's manifesting, you're going to see signs, wonders, and miracles. But wait a minute, when we get into the Word, we're going to see that the anointing is first causes teaching and preaching of the Word of God, which if believed will result in signs, wonders, and miracles. Right? Jesus was anointed as a man to, to be the example of you and I. We are to literally walk as Jesus walked in the earth. He said that over and over and over again. So now jump over to Luke chapter 4 and look at verse 14. We're going to go from about verse 14 through verse 32 because I really want to dissect this. I want you to see something in the life of Jesus. We're going to see a pattern. It's going to make it real simple. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. You guys doing okay? You look serious. Smile at me once in a while, right? Okay, Rosita, thank you. So that's awesome. There we go. Phineas, you always smile. There we go. I love it. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. So what has happened? Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. The Holy Ghost came upon him in the fullness, and then the Spirit of God literally led Jesus up into the wilderness where he was going to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. Okay? So now, verse 14 is what happened after that 40 days. It says, And he returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. The power of the Spirit, if you're taking notes, if it's in your Bible, I would write the word, is the anointing. The power of the Spirit is the anointing. Okay? It's exactly like what we just read, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and power. It's the same thing. So it says here, He returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of Him through all the region round about. Now here we have to deal with something. Because a lot of people have the religious thought that the reason why Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit is because the temptation of Satan made him stronger. Okay? We, we have this religious thought. And then what we do is we jump over in an off-balance sovereignty thing and we start to say things like, well, God will allow Satan to come kind of take a few hits at us to make us stronger. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Listen, Satan has nothing to do with making you stronger. Okay? So get that out of your vocabulary. Now, as you believe God's word, as you get his word in your heart, and as you face everything in Christ, in faith, gosh, you'll have victory. But don't think that that battle made you stronger. Go right to the source. God made you stronger. Satan never makes you stronger. He can produce nothing but death. Let's call him for what he is, right? So... See, Jesus was not walking in the power of the Spirit because he overcame the temptations. He was already strong. Okay? 
he was already strong. See, here's the thing where we want to get you guys, where I want to live is where we're ready for every battle that the enemy comes. And we're already, see the Bible says in Ephesians 6.10, you finally, my brethren, be continually strengthened inwardly in the Lord and in the power of his might. Continually. Satan's attacks never add to you or make you stronger, God adds to you and makes you stronger. You do not come out of battles stronger. You come out of battles strong because you were strong in the Lord. God made you stronger. You, now you think, well, you're just, you're picking at things. I am. Because this little thing is causing Christians world-overcoming, just devil-stomping Christians to live defeated. Well, you know, this is my cross to bear. Well, no, no, you're supposed to pick up your cross and bear it. And it's called the call of God on your life. Listen, are people going to hate you in this world? Yeah, they hated him. But in the midst of that, there's going to be multitudes of people that are going to love you and you're going you're to literally be used by God to reach them and change their life. So let's keep our eye on the ball here. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Why? Because he obeyed the leading of the Holy Ghost and went into the wilderness for 40 days. And he didn't go in there thinking, okay, I'm an, i got to fast for 40 days so that I can really be something in God. I'll guarantee you Jesus wasn't thinking how long he was going to fast. When you fast, it doesn't move God. It, it moves you. That's what it's designed for. So, you know, you could get all into this works mentality and go, you know, i got to fast for 10 days. No, no, listen, if you start fasting and you get your answer in 30 minutes, then go, go have a Big Mac or something, <laughs> right? Seriously, because sometimes you got to fast to tell your flesh that you're not in control of me. I'm in control. So we're not eating, and your flesh will yell and scream at you for about three days, Right? But here's the thing, he was already strong. He separated himself for 40 days. He obeyed God. That he positioned himself so that God could strengthen him and prepare him so that he would know that, listen, those temptations didn't make him know. He knew because of his time spending with the Lord that he was more than enough, that, he, that his God was more than enough to get him over, that he would finish his course. Jesus endured the cross because he, was already, he already crucified his flesh in the Garden of Gethsemane. So standing before Pilate wasn't the big thing. The garden was the big thing, right? And that's why he endured it, because he was ready for it. And Satan wants you not ready for anything. That's why he loves that doctrine. You just never know what God's going to do. Really? Well, Ephesians 4.29 says, don't be stupid, or it says unwise, but in the Tony Finley version, don't be stupid, but understand what God's will is, right? I mean, even the word Jehovah, he is the self-existent one that reveals himself, and yet we come up with this doctrine that you never know what God's going to do. 
No, 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 we know exactly what he's going to do. The minute, the minute I draw near to him, I know exactly what God's doing. He's drawn near to me. I know the minute I ask anything according to his will, that very moment I know he hears me, and therefore I know I already have what I've asked him for. Amen. Do I have to see it? Nope, because I believe him. And there's no power in this world that can make it come to pass, that could stop it from coming to pass. Let me say that right. So this is what enabled Jesus to use the anointing that he received when he was baptized. So think about this. He returned in the power of the Spirit. That means he used that power and then fame went out about him. Okay, so let's follow this. So Jesus is baptized. He's consecrated. And then what happens? What does he do? Then he goes up and he's led into the wilderness where now for 40 days he's in the wilderness. Then he comes down in the power of the Spirit. And what does he do? He uses that power and then what happens? Signs, wonders, and miracles happen because of that anointing, and a fame goes out all about him. Okay? So this is what's happening. And you're saying, well, pastor, no, it doesn't really say that. It says, it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. But see, if you keep reading, you find out that something happened between the time that he came out of that mountain, tempted of, of the devil and the power of the Spirit, and in between that time and when fame went out all about him. Fame for what? Could it have been fame? I heard one guy, one guy said, well, no, he was famous because, man, he was probably the first one to ever fast for 40 days. I'm like, dude, read your Bible. Right? So, no, it wasn't because he didn't have fame because he fasted. He had fame because he'd lay hands on sick people. He'd speak words. He'd cast out demons. All this stuff. How did he do it? He did it as a man anointed by God. So now let's keep following this. Let's go on. Luke chapter 4, verse 15. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So look at, now look at this. As a result of being anointed, look at what it says. The first thing that it mentions, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. The Bible is referring to Jesus' teaching as a result of the power of the Spirit. But in, in the body of Christ in America, it's like, no, 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 that's, no, no. We want the Holy Spirit to move. Guess what? The Holy Spirit's moving right now. Right now, he's moving. Answers are coming. Freedom could come. All this stuff. We think of power only in miracles. In Jesus' ministry, most miracles were a result of his extended times of teaching and preaching. You could see it if you study his ministry. God, why is that true? Because God confirms his word 
with signs following. So you got to get this. See, you're anointed by God, and then you're over here, you, set, you, you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he sets you apart to put some stuff into you. And then what happens is you start walking in the anointing, and things will start happening in your life because of the anointing. Oh, so many Christians are trying to be something in themselves. Stop trying to be something. Man, if you're a Christian, you already are something. You're a child of God. You have within you all things that pertain to life and godliness. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and you've been endowed with the name of Jesus and given the power of attorney in that name, and you could go in that name and do mighty things. Change everything in your life, everything in the lives of others. This is huge. So now, let's look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. So after all this is happening, now he comes to Nazareth. Remember, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. So this is where he grew up, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, isn't that amazing? Jesus' custom was to go to church. Wow, we, should, we could preach on that. The problem is, everybody you'd be preaching to, they're not here. So pastor, get over yourself, man. Don't just forget about that. Preach to who's there, right? But it was his custom to go to a synagogue. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now he's going to, he found the place. It was Isaiah 61, verses about one through three. In verse 18 now in Luke chapter four, Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord, he's reading out of, the, out of the scroll of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In the, literal, in the literal Greek, which would be taken in the Septuagint, it would literally read like this, the Spirit of the Lord has been poured upon me. Just poured. Because he has anointed me to do miracles. Wow. The first thing it mentions after the anointing is to preach the gospel. Do you know you're anointed to preach the gospel? What is the gospel? The good news that, listen, I've got good news for you. Jesus came to this earth and died for your sins, and now there is nothing separating you from God right now. You could come to know him. God's not mad at you. But you know why Christians aren't preaching that? Because we don't believe it. Oh, I'm so thankful God saved me. But I can't tell anybody because I don't know what to say. I just told you what to say. It's amazing if you'll just go out and tell people what, what the gospel is what God, through Christ, did for them. That's it. And all of a sudden, you'll be amazed because the Holy Spirit is the anointing and he will wake up a person's conscience and all of a sudden, I've seen it. I've seen atheists in a moment of time 
know that they're lost. Just argue with them for six months, and then all of a sudden they just know, man, I need Jesus. Right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Preaching the gospel is the first thing mentioned after Jesus was anointed. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, this is a lot more than just somebody who's kind of hurting. This, this word brokenhearted, this is huge. He sent me to heal. This word brokenhearted means the breach in man's spirit. This breach, this broken union with God because of sin. God sent Jesus to heal that. Sickness and disease is a result of a breach in man's spirit. Healing of the soul from torment or emotional upheaval. All of these things are included. To preach deliverance to the captives. To proclaim, again, preaching, to preach to people who are prisoners you can, you've been made free. Jesus was anointed to tell prisoners that they, they, they were free, that they could be free. And the receiving or the recovering of sight to the blind, how? Through preaching. Isn't this good news? To set at liberty them that are bruised. That's a little vague, but that word bruised, guess what it means in the Greek? It means them that are oppressed. See, Jesus was anointed, it says here, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He was anointed to tell and preach, guys, I am establishing an eternal jubilee. Debts are canceled, everything returned that was lost, and that's what he was anointed to preach. Guess what? Every moment of every day of your life as a New Testament believer, is the year of Jubilee. Everything the enemy's stolen from you, he has to bring back, if you'll believe it. It's all if you'll believe it. But if you'll believe it, he will see to it that it gets done. Has the enemy ever stole anything from you? Let, let, me, let me clue you in just a little bit. The enemy has stolen so much from you that you don't even know. You haven't even thought about. You, you can remember some things that the enemy's stolen. But there's a lot more that you haven't even thought. You didn't even realize it was the enemy. You kind of blew it off. You forgot about it. Boy, I'm telling you, it all has to come back if you'll believe it. See, this verse, it emphasizes his preaching even above his actions. So here's the overview. Here's the principle. Now, now this is This is huge. He's anointed. Jesus is anointed when he gets baptized. He's separated. He returns in the anointing. He then uses the anointing. Fame spreads about him. And then what does he do after that? He teaches about the anointing. Do you know everywhere Jesus went, I'll guarantee, man, he'd go into this synagogue. What was the first thing that he would do? Give me, give me Isaiah's scroll. I'm here to tell you guys, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Okay, follow me. I believe, I believe Jesus 
read this everywhere he went because this was his message. The Bible pattern is to preach about the anointing. Why are we not preaching about the anointing? We're doing crazy stuff in our services in America. Oh, you know, we, we, we can't allow the Holy Spirit to move. We're just going to put him in the back room. He doesn't go in the back room. He just leaves. Right? God's Spirit is upon Jesus to anoint him. That's why God, God the Father sent the Holy Ghost to anoint his son. Jesus operated in this earth as a man anointed by God, which is exactly who you are. You're either a male or a female. In we're man, right? So you're either a male and a female or a female anointed by God on the earth right now. You have the, you have the anointed one in you. God separated Jesus by the anointing for the work that he had him to do. This is the way it works for all of us. God wants to separate you, how? By the anointing so that you can go out and do what he's called you to do. This is how it works. The importance of getting this and understanding this, I can't measure. Jesus was anointed to tell people the good news and then to demonstrate that good news through healings and etc. to those that believed it. Verse 20. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why? Because this is, this is the whole environment. So get this. Everybody in Jesus' hometown is hearing about Jesus of Nazareth healing multitudes, signs, wonders, and miracles happening. And now here's Jesus who grew up in Nazareth. He's now here. And they're all watching him. After he reads Isaiah's scroll, they're all watching him. It says it right here. They're, all the eyes were fastened on him. They were thinking, what's he going to do? Is he going to do here what he did at Capernaum? All these miracles we've heard about? We're waiting to see. Verse 21. Now, why is this written to us? You're going to see it so clear because you're living in the same thing. Verse 21. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So Jesus just, what he just said was, guys, Isaiah 61 is talking about me Another way to say that is Jesus said to all of his hometown guys, I am the Messiah. Now, you're going to have to take Jesus public to walk out God's plan for your life. So here's the thing. This is what I've learned. Just make a decision to get over yourself and it's, it's no problem. Verse 22, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, okay, here we go. Is not this Joseph's son? So they're, they're marveling. See, people will sit in church and go, wow, that, that's just wonderful. 
but I don't think God could heal me. So they're going, they're coming up with reasons why he is not the Messiah. Verse 23, and he said unto them, you will surely say unto me in this proverb, physician, heal thyself. So Jesus said to, he, he sees all this after they say, well, isn't this Joseph's boy? I mean, he made an end table in my house, right? Isn't this the carpenter? And Jesus said, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Now what that meant is they're saying, Jesus, prove yourself, prove yourself. By doing the same miracles you did in Capernaum, prove it here. So here's what they're doing. They're saying, Jesus, if you show me the miracles, I'll believe. I might believe that you are who you say you are. And that's where millions of Christians are at right now. Show, show me and then I'll believe. And the Bible principle is believe and then you'll see right? So do you see this dilemma? They were looking at the natural instead of looking at what God was doing. So what it says here, physician heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Jesus, do it here and then we'll talk. Because right now, all we're seeing is somebody who speaks gracious words, but we know you. You're Joseph's son. Verse 24, and he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Now he's going to start going through the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus, just no fear, man. He goes, I tell you of a truth. This is amazing. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three and a half years. When great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. So he's saying, in all this big thing, only Elijah was only sent to one city for one woman. Then he uses another example. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, I mean, Jesus is dissing on them. He's saying in the same way, you guys are going to not see what you want to see. See, if you go to God and say, show me or else I will never believe. Yeah. He rose, oh, it says, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. So good feeling gone, right? And rose up and thrust him out of the city, led him unto the brow of the hill. We were on that hill in Nazareth where they believed that was. It was a pretty high cliff. And there's rocks everywhere. That would have not been fun, right? Where their city was built and that they might cast him down headlong, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. And where did he go after that? And he came down, verse 31, to Capernaum. This is where he did all these other miracles. A city of Galilee and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine. 
and his word was with power. See, so Jesus goes back to Capernaum, a place where they believed him. And it says the Sabbath days, so he stayed there for weeks and taught them that he was the anointed one. And it says that his, his word was with power. His word held the anointing. See, if you go in and minister to a place that just doesn't believe it, there's nothing really that's going to happen. It has everything to do with how you receive the word because God wants to move in everybody's life. So this is the same account as Luke chapter 4, right there. So this same thing, Mark chapter 6 is the same one as Luke chapter 4. It's, it's just Mark's account. So go to Mark chapter 6, real quick, verse 1. We're going to read four verses. Well, we're going to read six, but we're going to start with four here. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Could you imagine having Jesus teaching and they shut him up? He began to say, he began to teach. Wow, I'd want him to stay as long as he wanted to, right? And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? What? Jesus had a brother? He actually pastored the church in Jerusalem. We have a book from, by him, right? And Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. So now we go to verse 5. Look at this. This is what I want you to see. And he could there do no mighty work, save he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, that's people with minor ailments, and healed them. Jesus, in all the power of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, was hindered because of their attitude of dishonor. They treated him as common. That's what the word dishonor means. You know, one of the reasons why we have an incredible environment here, one of the reasons is because of your guys' love for me. It's amazing. We have a lot of people here who just, who just love me. And, and you come to church to receive, not from what I have, but from the anointing. And so God can move. Be careful to treat anything in God as common. Right? So they treated him as common. It is necessary, it is necessary to believe in the anointing if you want to get the results of the anointing. Tonight, if you want to get the results of the anointing, lifting a burden and destroying a yoke, you got to believe it. The anointing is controlled by the receiver, not the minister. Realize this. Any time, you see it right here in Jesus' hometown, any time you govern your life by your senses, unbelief will always manifest. Isn't this the carpenter? Now, so they, they took the fact that Jesus grew up in their town and they knew him, it literally negated all the miracles that they heard that happened in Capernaum. In the same way, you'll negate the whole word of God and think 
God cannot move in your life if, you, if you're looking at how I'm feeling, what I'm facing. So we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Anytime you govern your life by your senses, this is what happens. You will say this, show me and then I'll believe. And this is the attitude of many today, but not us, right? It says that Jesus couldn't do any mighty works. It didn't say that he wouldn't. It said he couldn't. Wow. Jesus would teach that he was anointed because if he could get people to believe his word, then the anointing would work for him. But if he couldn't get them to believe it, it wouldn't work. The people accepting what Jesus said opened the door to miracles. So I just want to go for a couple more minutes here. Go over to Matthew chapter 10. Are you seeing this principle? Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power. This is the Greek word that means delegated authority. So Jesus called his 12 disciples. He gave them delegated authority against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So he gave them delegated authority. We learn from the other 70 that went out how that operated. They came back and they said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us in your name. So Jesus gave the 12 delegated authority in his name. They weren't born again, but he gave them delegated authority to go out in his name and do the same works that he did. And these 12 Jesus sent forth, and he commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into the city of the Samaritans. Don't enter there, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Because Jesus had to fulfill all the promises to the Jews. He couldn't be the savior of the Gentiles until he fulfilled being the Messiah to the Jews. Now there's a seven-year period that's going to come up. It's called the tribulation period. It's Daniel's 70th week. That's predominantly so the Jews will be saved. But right now it's a Gentile thing, even though there's many Jews being saved right now. Romans tells us that this whole thing that we're called the church age is to spur the Jewish people on to jealousy so that it'll all switch back to them. And now during the tribulation, there'll be 144,000 Jewish evangelists and there'll be a lot of Jews getting saved. There'll still be Jews that won't, but there'll be a lot of Gentiles that'll still be getting saved too. So, so now uh, he called them, he gave them delegated authority, sent them out in his name. And he said here, and as you go, preach saying. He told them what to say. Now what Jesus said, what did he say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach. He basically was, he would, everywhere he would go, he would say, I am the Messiah. Everywhere. But now, he's not sending the 12 out. They can't go out and say they're the Messiah because they're not, right? But he tells them what to say. He says, as you go preach, you say this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, they were to say, God's kingdom and his power has come to us now. So that's what they would say. Hey guys, I'm here to tell you that God's kingdom and power is here now. 
And they were healing the sick, casting out devils in his name, if people would believe it. Right? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. Now think of the lepers. The lepers, that means cleanse incurable people. So incurable diseases, a person who's not born again took the name of Jesus and went out and said, listen, here's the message. The good news is the kingdom of God has come to us. So receive healing. Receive this, receive that. Demons, you got to come out. See, our message is simple. It's a simple message. The reason why we don't have tons of people getting saved is we're not preaching the message. Right? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out doubles, freely you have received, freely give. See, they didn't go out saying the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because they were not the Messiah. They went out and said, hey, the kingdom of God has come to us. That was their message. They were to do what Jesus did. This was their starting point. Starting point, casting out devils, raising the dead, healing incurable diseases. Wow, isn't that good news? This is huge. So let me close by this, the Great Commission, Mark chapter 16. Let's close with this scripture. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye, now this is right before Jesus leaves the earth, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is the gospel? Listen, Jesus has died. The price for your sin has been paid. Now you can know God. That is the gospel. And the gospel includes healing, it includes, it includes freedom financially, you know, right? The blessing of the Lord makes rich. No poverty, no lack, no sickness, no disease, no spiritual death. You could be spiritually alive. Jesus took your place. No more depression. All, that's our message. And some people might, some might go, but yeah, but what if they don't like what I say? Okay. You know, they're not going to like what you say. But you know what they're not going to like? They're not going to like it even worse if you're, if you, if you look like them, right? Because see, you're okay. You might miss, at a worst scenario, you might miss God's plan for your life, but you're still going to be in heaven. But there's a lot of people that aren't going to experience the power of God if we don't get out there. It says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Boy, if we, if we written, I mean, we fought wars over this one. Well, it's very clear you don't have to be baptized to be saved. So if you study the Greek languages, it's very clear what it's saying. He that believed, believes and is immersed in the salvation will be saved. See, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized, and he is in heaven, right? It's not talking about water baptized. It's talking about being baptized into God's family. But he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them. Now you got to get the pronunciation right. It says, it says look, at, look at the pronunciation there in the King James. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Well, in the context of everything in Jesus' ministry, you have to take out the semicolon. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Look at a literal Greek. It'll say that. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues, right? 
They shall cast out devils. That means we'll have authority over the devil. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. This word take up literally means to lift off somebody as an anchor. We're going to be able to lift Satan's power. Serpents is a type of Satan and his hierarchy. We're going to be able to, if we believe in the name of Jesus, we could lift the satanic oppression off people. they got to believe it. Right? And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Does that mean we're going to go drink arsenic just to prove we're spiritual? No. No, no. It's saying there's divine protection for us as we go out and do these things. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Wow, this is a huge one because I got to tell you, if healing is passed away, then his name would have had to passed away. But his name has not passed away. So if I lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, they'll recover. Now they're going to have to believe it. And if they don't believe it, I'm not laying hands on them. Because I don't want them walking away thinking, wow, see, God must not love me. Signs follow the ones that believe in the name of Jesus. Why? Because they're preaching the gospel. See, if you and I will preach the gospel, people will believe it, and then we can do the actions. We preach, and then we demonstrate. We preach. That's exactly what Jesus did. I preach the gospel, and then I demonstrate the gospel. We preach the gospel, and we demonstrate. That's what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. So now I'm doing the works of Jesus. Do you see that pattern? The key to the anointing. You want to operate in the anointing? Preach the word. Yeah, but pastor, I'm not a preacher. Oh, no, 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 you are. You're a proclaimer. As a matter of fact, you're proclaiming all the time. If people will believe God's word, they will see signs, wonders, and miracles. And it says in verse 20, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. That word, them is in italics in the King James Version because it's not in the original manuscripts. It, it was added to bring clarity to the text. But literally it would read, the Lord working with and confirming his word with signs following. The Lord tonight is not working with Pastor Tony. He's working with his word and confirming it. And that's what he'll do with you. Amen?